When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 27. I'm Helen. I'm Kobe. Welcome. We're joined today by Adam. Hello. And Zoe. Hi. And we're going to be talking about the Nina Simone documentary on Netflix, What Happened, Miss Simone. Come find us on Twitter. Tweet to us. Agree with us. Disagree. We're at FlixWatcherPod. The website FlixWatcher.tv has full listings of each episode and subscribe and review us on iTunes. As always, films reviewed in this podcast were available to stream on Netflix UK at the time of recording. There may be bad language and there may be spoilers. You have been warned. This episode of FlixWatcherPod is brought to you by GL Productions. GL Production provide hassle-free, professional quality podcast production at an affordable price. So if you're looking to get into podcasting but fancy a little bit of professionalism to help you out, then uh, we highly recommend GL Productions. If you fancy 10% off your bespoke podcast production package, tell them Kobe and Helen sent you for your first order. Hello and welcome to Flix Watcher Pod. In this episode, we're joined by Adam Buxton Hello. and Zoe Jays. Hi. If you'd like to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Zoe, after you. Oh, thank you very much. My name is Zoe Jays. I'm comedy programmer here at King's Place. We're currently recording backstage from the London Podcast Festival. Fantastic. I'm also the producer of the London Podcast Festival. Yay. First year, right? Second. Second. <laughs> I thought it was the first. I don't know what I'm doing. Where am I? My name's Adam Buxton. I am a, a sometime comedian, a writer, a host of Bug about music videos, and currently podcaster with the Adam Buxton podcast. Podcast champion as uh, as award. designated yeah. by the award British winner. Podcast Awards. That's true. Yeah. Yes, I am the champion of pod of all podcasts. <laughs> So I'm excited to be here, and uh, yeah, I'm doing a live podcast tonight with Reese and Steve of League of Gentlemen. Inside number nine in the League of Gentlemen, yeah. Yeah, we're looking forward because yeah, it's, so it's completely that, sold out. That's crazy, isn't it? They're, well, League of Gentlemen are reforming as well. Are you going to be they talk, are. are you going to be talking a bit about that during the show? Do you know? Definitely, I'll talk about lots of things. I asked people on Twitter last night if they had any questions, and it was the most activity my feed has ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. It's like an avalanche. So I sort of just randomly picked a, a handful of questions, lots of good questions. So I will um, just be going through those and many questions about the new series, what it's going to be like, and and then lots of questions about whether they get jealous of the other members for, well, you know... For writing Sherlock. For being, yeah, 
too high profile. <laughs> but I, I never think about that with them, though, because they're all individually so talented and they've done so many things. I, Absolutely. Anyway, but I will ask them that because that's a fun thing to uh, <laughs> tease them with. So we, we're talking today about the Nina Simone documentary that's on Netflix, What Happens, yeah. Miss Simone. And you chose it, Adam. Can you give us, let us know why you chose it and a brief synopsis? Sure. Now, this came out in 2015, and that's actually when I saw it first. I did a little refresher course recently. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Directed by Liz Garbus, produced by Amy Hobby. And I actually, in the course of doing this, did read a few reviews, which I hadn't done before I... You know, I watched it originally because it was about Nina Simone and she was someone I wanted to know more about. But a lot of the reviews were similar in that they said, yeah, it's pretty good, solid documentary, but not, you know, it's a bit by the numbers. Right. It's, um, it doesn't really reinvent the form in the way that, off the top of my head, Montage of Heck did yeah. for Kurt Cobain. That was a real hand grenade that was mixing everything up this is very much straightforward, you know, story of her life in chronological order, illustrated with a lot of stock footage at the beginning and, you know, archived, just sort of general archive that plays underneath a, uh, an, a voiceover, I guess, taken from an interview yeah. from Nina Smoke. But it's very well done. It's, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I quite like straightforward things. If they're well put together, which this is, and it has enough good footage about a fascinating person, which this certainly does. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, not, not everything has to be subverting the medium or tearing up the rule book <laughs> and flushing it down the toilet. If, you, if you're someone as extraordinary as Nina Simone and, and you have a life as interesting as hers was, then it's okay, I think, to be by the numbers. And Liz Garbus does a very good job. Do you think it could have happened if it was someone's... Life is less extraordinary than these. If it was, if it was by the numbers, do you think they could have carried it as well? Well, because I'm sure we'll talk a bit. You know, the synopsis really is her life, isn't it? But we'll. Yeah, uh, it would be. No, I guess you would. I don't know. I mean, it would be weird if. Yeah, it would be weird if it was someone <laughs> less interesting <laughs> than her. It would be a bit of a difficult watch. But I just, I quite like. You know, I even like reading through Wikipedia entries for yeah. people. It's just nice getting an overview of a person's life. I think I read a review that compared it to a Wikipedia entry, which I thought was a bit harsh. Yeah, because it's so snooty. And it's like, well, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing inherently <laughs> wrong with that. I know what they mean. But at the same time, you know, I, I quite like documentaries like classic albums. Mm -hmm. I really like music documentaries, yeah. you know. I like watching a talented musician perform and, and talk about their music. And often musicians aren't very good at talking about their music. So it's really great when you have someone to put it in context for you in the form of a documentary. Yeah. And show you some great moments, a couple of things you didn't know, perhaps. Tell you a few anecdotes. That's all you want, really. So why did you choose this for to, to, to talk about today? I'd always liked her, but I didn't know much about her. Mm. And I was curious, and I think I'd seen a bit of footage of her at the Montreux Jazz Festival in 1976. That's the one in Germany, is it? Montreux is in Switzerland, Switzerland isn't it? Switzerland, yeah. I think so, yeah. A Germanic language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's near there. And it, I think it was one of the last big appearances that she made. Well, it was a very... It's, a, it's really strange footage. Very strange. And they lean on it heavily in this documentary. Quite rightly. 
it sort of bookends the Yeah, they whole open thing. with it, don't they? With that extraordinary, she comes on stage, does that really deep bow, mm. pauses, looks to the audience. She really takes her time. <laughs> yeah. She hasn't been on stage for a few years at that point. Yeah. She's already had a lot of problems in her life. She comes out to an ecstatic audience of fans mm -hmm. who are pleased to see her back. But as you say, the atmosphere is immediately strange and yeah. tense. She comes out, she just eyeballs everyone as if she's angry with them. Yeah. <laughs> and they talk about the fact that she often did tell off her audiences. Yeah. And see, she does at the end. Yeah. yeah. She, she shouts at someone to take their seat and won't, right. won't start playing until they do. Yeah, Twice. yeah, yeah. But I, and I kind of like that, you know, running a concert venue. I don't mind people being taught concert etiquette properly. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of comedians that would relish the opportunity Absolutely. to do that more. And, you know, some people, it's, it's a difficult thing to do because the last thing you want to do is get the audience angry. Mm. You, you want them to, you know, you, most comedians or performers generally are full of little ways to trick the audience into being on your side. You're just an armory of techniques to, to get them to like you and then you can take them where you want. But she really doesn't give a shit whether she they like you. She doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and she's just like, you are here. What did she say? I wrote it down. She says at one point, she says, they need to listen about the audience. She mm -hmm. says, they need to listen like they do in classical music. Mm -hmm. And if they can't listen, fuck it. Because <laughs> that's her background and that's her love, yeah. classical yeah. music. That's how yeah. she was trained. I was very ignorant about her. I had no idea yeah. um, that she wanted to be a classical pianist. And yes, she was a pianist. Not wanted to be, she was a classical yeah, pianist. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That that's perhaps what she wanted to be known for. Right. You know. Yes, she was She was a prodigy. And so she. her family was not wealthy, but she was spotted playing at a, a, a thing that was organized by the church, a, a recital in a theater. And a couple of women came along, women, I don't know if you've heard of women. Miss um, <laughs> Muriel Masanovich, Masanovich, and she was a... I'm liking his uh, notes, Adam. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I tried really to make up for... Miss yeah. <laughs> Muriel Masanovich, and she was so impressed that she kind of wanted to take Nina Simone, Eunice Wayman, as she was then. Mm. That was her real name. She wanted to take her under her wing, and, and she taught her how to play Bach and taught her how to play all this classical music because she could see she was talented enough to get really good at it and she ended up going to Juilliard this big mm -hmm. fancy music school in New York applied for a scholarship to study in Philadelphia at the Curtis Institute and was rejected at that point and then convinced herself that race was the issue the there. yeah that she was being discriminated again highly uh, against highly possible right yeah. in those days and th this was the, when, the 50s? Yeah. So America, you know, very fundamentally divided mm. on racial lines at that point. So do you think this could have been one of the reasons she went, I mean, jumping ahead a bit here, but she lent quite happily into the civil, into the civil rights movement and joining forces, becoming friends with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and everyone else and being really kind of forthright when her other contemporaries were perhaps like obviously we support the cause but we're not going to be involved so much so some of her early uh, setbacks may have instigated perhaps what she i think so you get that impression i mean you get the impression that a she was hurt as anyone would be by being treated like that and having the usual kind of 
racial comments aimed at her being told she, she would never be able to do this and that because mm -hmm. of where she came from and what she looked like. And so that's horrible for anyone to hear, whether it's a comment about your race or, or not, really. And then I'm sure she was outraged by what was going on in the States at that time. There was so much appalling stuff happening. And then there was this attack on a, on a church in Birmingham, Alabama, mm -hmm. 1963, yeah. after which she wrote this song, Mississippi Goddamn, which is really yeah. extreme. And Goddamn it, is like one of the worst swear words yeah, for, for people, no, isn't it? No radio play or anything. Yeah. And the performance in the documentary is quite electrifying, really. Yeah, it really is. When you consider how uptight Americans were then, and still are about race. Yeah. <laughs> and religion. Yeah. <laughs> you find them both in Everything. the same song. And you think like America is a very strangely conservative place culturally in a lot of ways. And it's still, you sort of think of it as being kind of crazy and freewheeling. You do what you want, freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. But it's easy to shock people out there. It's very, it's still predominantly religious, I think. Absolutely. A, a country where belief in God is very important. And there's all sorts of ways to offend Americans. I was... I'm doing a show. I'm doing like, a catalog in different ways to offend America. Yeah, I'm going to go through them now. <laughs> but like I was, I'm doing a show just to go off on a tangent about Bowie at the moment. And he was performing on Saturday Night Live in 1979. It's an incredible performance. Yeah, two years after that show started. Mm. Super hip show. It was like one of the coolest shows on TV. It was, it was actually live, went out late night. Bowie did a song called Boys Keep Swinging, which contains the line, other boys check you out. And they, they muted the line. Really? Yeah. Because they just thought, oh, no, that's, that's too gay. People will be upset it's by pretty gay. how gay it is. Because the idea of another boy checking you out, no, that's not what boys should be doing. <laughs> slap, you know, slap the guy on the back. Don't check him out. Ugh gay so they muted it 1979 that is Incredible. so 1963 she writes mississippi goddamn and yeah she steps into it plus the fact that she was a very passionate person anyway absolutely that comes through a lot in the yeah documentary. and also someone who struggled well later in the 80s she was diagnosed as being yeah. bipolar but clearly that you know personality makeup that she had plus all the things that happened to her this unhappy marriage that she had, we'll probably talk about. But, you know, she was obviously always going to care passionately and have something to say about what was going on racially in the States at the time. And you had artists like Aretha Franklin and Harry Belafonte, big, well-established, successful artists who were also aligning themselves with the civil rights movement, mm. but able to do so in a way that wasn't quite as extreme. as detrimental to their career, basically. Yeah. Because... Nina, she was losing gigs, right? Because of her of her hard stance. On yeah, she looked. People just thought Again, she just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Just trouble, and exactly. Yeah, she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> so, what did you guys think on the other side of the of the table, Zoe? What What was you? Because I didn't know anything about. I, I loved Nina Simone, mm -hmm. and I've got a few of her albums, including the best of Nina Simone. Mm. <laughs> That's where one. I started. Nothing wrong with That's that. A great one. And. Uh, <laughs> But I knew very little about her, apart yeah. from the, the fact that I thought she has an outstanding voice. But this... I mean, I think I was em embarrassingly ignorant about Nina Simone. I knew very little of this, so that was all very interesting. I remember the the reaction to the biopic a couple of years ago when Zoe Saldana was cast, and I particularly remember how furious her family were about that. And seeing that 
Lisa was credited as an exec producer on this. Her daughter. Yeah. I don't yeah. know about the biopic. What's that one called? It's called Nina, and it came out in 2016 and has a 3% Rotten Tomatoes review. Oh, wow. Which 3%? Says, yeah. That's why I've not they, seen it. Um, really says they, a lot they, about it. They darkened Zoe Saldana's skin and gave her a sort of big prosthetic nose. Right. Yeah. You don't need to do that with a biopic, do you? you just... Zoe Saldana, I don't know her. Is she... In Star Trek? She was in Avatar. Yeah, she she her in oh, okay. But she's a person of color, though, right? She yeah. is. She is. So, but but, but people were upset that yeah. that her skin was darkened. Yes, her family, especially. I Mary think. J. Blige was originally down to play the role, and Mary J. Out. would have been a fantastic shout, mm-hmm. actually. Anyway, I haven't seen that mm. film, but sure. I do remember. Well, three percent of Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> doesn't look good. Yeah. That the family and the estate were very upset about it, and I did wonder because Lisa was so heavily involved in this whether it would be. A little bit sycophantic, but it really isn't. No, she's shown to be very flawed, and Lisa's, you know, heartbreakingly honest about the relationship she had with her mother. Very much, and you would expect someone like her to be a little bit bitter and certainly conflicted, at least, yeah. about her mother and her mother's legacy and the way that her mother is lionized in certain circles yeah. after after having a childhood that must have been. Very difficult and very upsetting at certain times. But she's not. She is, as you say, really, she comes across very well and seems to, I mean, I don't know if she sort of sat down and decided like, oh, I've got to get some perspective on it. Or if she was always that well balanced, I don't know. But yeah, you know, she says that, I'm paraphrasing, but she sort of says, you know, mum always said that dad was the best manager anyone could have because this guy Andy that uh, Nina Simone married in the early 60s. Andy, Andy Stroud. Right, a yeah. retired cop who ended up managing her and playing a large part in making her successful in the beginning of the 60s. But he worked her very hard. And then the relationship transitioned into being something quite abusive. Yeah. And, and you know, her daughter Lisa was there watching a lot of this abuse happen her dad at one point smacking her, like leaning across Lisa in the car to smack Nina Simone across the face yeah. and cut her face open because yeah. he had a ring on her, on his finger. And then there's footage in this documentary of the, of Andy just uh, talking about it, yeah, fessing up to it. He's like, yeah, I hit her. And because of the ring, yeah, cut her face open. So, you know, took her home and, and uh, sort of held the skin together and taped it. A week later, there wasn't even a scar. <laughs> Good job, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. should be a paramedic. Yeah. Don't worry about Andy. That interview is extraordinary. He smacks yeah. you across the face. He'll sort it out afterwards. So she witnessed all this sort of stuff. And then Nina Simone herself, you, you know, went in and out of depressions, wasn't yeah. always there. and But despite all that, she she has a very balanced perspective on the whole thing and is still able to appreciate what an extraordinary person and what an extraordinary artist her mother was you know yeah. I mean she starts off the documentary by saying my mum was one of one of the best entertainers in the entire world but she had a troubled life and that's yeah yeah prefaces really what happens what how how the story unfolds throughout the rest of the story uh, throughout the rest of her life yes I was see, I saw some criticism of Nick Broomfield's documentary about Whitney Houston mm. recently that was just on from people saying oh well it didn't focus enough on what a talented performer she was. Mm-hmm. And actually, it, it was mainly the story of her descent. But I'm laughing. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so sort of, th- there, are, there are very darkly funny moments in that documentary. The Whitney but, one. Yeah, because mm. of what a massive tool bag, what's his face? Bobby, Bobby Brown. Brown. Bobby Brown. 
just like a total jerk yeah. that you would be in. You know, yeah. you try and get away from a person like that at He's a party. Like a caricature of a villain. Yeah. He's yeah. like the kind of person you enjoy being around for five minutes and then think, no. I yeah, to, I want to go away from you. And y- yeah, like you again. he's sort of good value on stage because he's such a massive Wally. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't marry him. <laughs> don't fucking marry the guy. That's the thing about watching these biopics. Sometimes it was the same with Amy. You know, mm, you're just yes. almost shouting at the screen. Like it's like watching oh, a slow moving yeah. car crash, and you're like, just go, run away from these people. Blake. You know. Yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> he's worse. He's worse than Bobby he's Brown. So toxic. Well, because, that, yeah. In that in the Whitney one, I know we're sidetracking, and we need to get Helen's opinion on on yes. Nina as well. But in the Bob, in the Whitney one, she was saying the, the whole documentary starts by saying, "Yeah, Whitney was taking drugs from like age eleven, and that's fine." Bobby Brown never did drugs, but he always drank. And when they got together, they did drunks, they did <laughs> drinks and drugs, and that's what that's what really <laughs> set yeah. everything going wrong. So I was kind of like, "Right, that's that's." shit isn't it yeah because yeah, if you just do one or the other you're fine yeah that's fine. not right at all <laughs> <laughs> helen nina simone yeah well what's it hasn't really been said always knew her songs i don't think i ever really appreciated what a musician she was mm. no, yes yeah. her skill on the piano it's and amazing. songwriting and just her as a performer i'd never really seen much live performances so no. to see them and to hear her talk was just like incredible and yeah. And she's really a fascinating performer as well. Completely. She, yeah. And I particularly love things like she's wearing like jewels on her eyelids. And I was like, oh, mm. you yeah, know, that's amazing. people are doing that now. And just the, her presence on stage, just absolutely captivating. But again, I mean, a standard documentary. But, you know, when you've got a story this good, then mm. you, you don't need the flashiness. So. I think that, as you say, it's the live performances that are really extraordinary. And I think they carry the film. There were there were times when I'd get annoyed when they would, you know, cut the performance to to have somebody else being interviewed. Yeah. Um, I was I was sobbing with going back to that Montreux performance mm-hmm. when she was doing when she was covering Janice Ian. I think that's perhaps the best live performance I've ever seen. I've mm. never seen. I'm gonna cry just talking oh, about yeah, yeah. the emotion, the genuine emotion. It's such a perfect choice of song. I just thought it was just extraordinary and then i immediately watched it again afterwards watched the full performance found it on youtube mm-hmm. but yeah i then i would get mad at the documentary because they're like well don't cut this off <laughs> yeah i suppose though that the, the nice thing about a documentary like that is that it then directs you to the footage itself and now with youtube being what it is you can find most totally. of those performances yeah. and it is like there. nine minutes long <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it is yeah it's terrific it's electrifying you think about someone an artist like, well, I'm just thinking of another cantankerous artist that sometimes has a fraught relationship with his audience, Van Morrison, mm-hmm. who I know was a huge Nina Simone fan. And he did a cover of uh, I Put a Spell on You that is more or less a reworking of, of hers. And he did a, a great performance at the Montreux Festival as well. At the same t- at the same festival? No, no. I think it was maybe a year or two later okay. in the late 70s. That's, re- that's really good. If you're a Van Morrison fan listening to this, check that out. But it's nothing like, you know, it doesn't have any of the crackliness that this one did because she was, um, she was, you know, struggling. Really struggling. Mentally. And, but she still had all her faculties musically. Yeah. So you, it's the whole atmosphere is pregnant with tension, menace, the possibility that something, she might just go off on someone. She might even attack someone or i don't know what you know you sort of imagine like yeah. all the all the things that could go wrong it feels like this is someone right on the brink 
I saw Hannah Gadsby's show in, in Edinburgh, Nanette, and she talks in that about how a comedian's job is to create tension mm-hmm. and then break that tension for the relief of the audience. But she's got no interest in breaking that tension. <laughs> no. It's just pure tension. Yeah, yeah. It's, Incredible. It's really... It's, uh, this, um, we've talked about kind of the pedestrian nature of the documentary, but it actually was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. For Best Documentary alongside... Well, often the documentary's nominated for Academy yeah, Awards are pretty pedestrian. Often the ones that win are... Well, this was up against Amy. I forgot to check who won that year, but Amy was... Amy won. Amy won, Amy won yeah. that, yeah. And I love Amy for... To it's a better documentary. Yeah. I mean, I it's the, the, th- the thing is that what's his face, the director Asif of... Kapadia. Asif Kapadia. had much better material to work mm, with. Totally, mm. yeah. There's so little stuff of Nina Simone, especially in the early years. One of the things in the Broomfield documentary about oh, Whitney, Whitney Houston was that stuff of her singing as a 12-year-old in front of the church choir... Mm. And it's just magnetic, this incredible, beautiful person belting it out, 12 years old. Mm. And, you, and, and it's very, you know, extra heartbreaking when you know mm. what's, what the ending is going to be. But there's nothing like that of, you know, and, and in the Amy documentary, there's all that amazing home movie footage. Yeah. But there's, there's so little for um, Liz Garbus to work with as I guess far that's as just Nina Simone. Partly because it's... When she didn't was born. Exist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first half of the documentary probably has a bit more of that because they have the interviews that she, you know, her own interviews, and you can hear her talking about her own life, and that mm. isn't there so much in the second half, I guess, because of the mental health issues she was having. Yeah. But like a, a, a line that like stood out to me, I feel like she can express herself very well. And she talks about Andy and says that he, he wrapped himself around me like a snake. And I just thought that was such a beautiful, eloquent way to express that. She's got a really good turn of phrase. That's the thing is that is that she leans on all these audio interviews because they stand up. Yeah. And really all she has to do is sort of illustrate them with uh, either archive of her performing or stock footage or whatever it happens to be. And, and it does the job, you know. And the same with those incredible diaries, you know, because yeah. So, yeah. they'd be so great in a book. But, yes, you know, describe those, describe those, because they are amazing. Well, you know, she kept, she was obviously a prolific diary keeper mm. and they're, they're just incredible, you know, and they you can see her mental state in them. Sometimes they're very organized and put together and sometimes they, they look like a nutty wall. <laughs> they, mm. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I just, and, and the way they do it, so, they, they just sort of have them on screen so you can read them and they subtitle them when they're scratchily done. Mm. And that's not the most dynamic filmmaking, though the diaries themselves are fascinating yeah. and so raw and honest. Amazing too. Do you keep a diary? No, I never have. I, I occasionally do. And the thing is that if you keep a diary or a journal or whatever, you'll know that it's quite difficult to be honest in it. Mm. Even if oh, really? you think no one will ever read it. <laughs> right. To actually honestly write down some of the things that you think oh, and that God, happen to yeah. you is quite a challenge. But it does seem as if she's genuinely yeah. doing that. And it is really compelling just to look yeah. at those static shots of her yeah. diary. How does it, you've seen, has everyone here seen, you've seen Montage of Heck, haven't you? Yes. You saw it in a cinema? Yes. Oh, I bet that was good. I saw it on uh, just at home. So how does this compare to other biopics for your music biopics and i mean i guess it's it's pretty pretty standard i mean it the only thing that i um, think which i think i kind of forgot was that she was never really that successful and in her lifetime mm. she was just kind of always under the you know the periphery because she was never really a soul performer she was never really a jazz performer she's never really a classical performer as such and she just didn't quite hit the success that you would have expected someone of her caliber to have done and 
even now, sort of, you sort of maybe speak to people about Nina Simone, they might go, oh, the song from the Muller advert. Yeah. And it was when her songs were used on adverts, that was when she had her, her bigger successes. And it kind of doesn't have that thing at the end when you're like, oh, well, in the end, it was all great. The and she yeah. was yeah. the comeback mega concert, successful. the tour yeah. of Japan. That's it. It never, <laughs> it never happened for yeah. her. She yeah. kind of went off into exile, kind of came back to try and make some money. And it was really, really hard. And people didn't really remember her. And it was really, really sad. Again, there's, there's some really sad. There's some good slash sad footage of her performing in little clubs where she's clearly oh, God, yeah. a yeah. bit addled. Sort of in a swimming costume. Yeah, yeah. And she's sort of ban bantering and shouting at the audience. One yeah. minute she's happy with them and she's laughing. The next minute she's kind of sh saying, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, she's like, no one believes it's me. Yeah. And it's why really... would I be playing here? Right, exactly. It's like, <laughs> yeah. here's this legendary yeah. performer and she's in this little shitty club and yeah. people are just talking and it's very odd. But yes, as you say, My Baby Just Cares For Me, which is, I suppose, her best known track. From the Muller advert. Well, that was the no, Chanel one. Oh, oh. Back in the day, it was uh, Chanel number five ad. Oh, right, yeah. And that's the thing that reignited people's interest in her. But as often is the case, she signed away the rights to that track. It oh, was no. on an album that she, Little Girl Blue or Little yeah. Girl Lost or something. And she only ever made about three grand. Oh, God, that's depressing. Even though it was a huge hit. And so she never got any of that money from that. Oh, no. I know, it is a very sad story. Again, it's extraordinary that her daughter is able to be so apparently free from bitterness when she talks about it because you could easily just be furious with the world if that was your mum, you know. I've got a couple of things I want to raise before going into popcorn time and going to the scoring. Yeah. The first thing is, one thing I really liked about the documentary is that she had a few kind of stalwart people behind her, like her 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 a guitarist friend and some people that oh, played yeah, in a band with her. He was, yeah. he was wonderful. And <laughs> I kind of think if they if she didn't have those people, what would she have become without people to say, Nina, you're a mess. We're going to put you up in a house. We're going to clean this shit up for you. We need you to be you because you're awesome. But what well, I mean, what what would have become of her? She would have died earlier, I guess. Yes, she didn't disappear. She didn't implode the same way that someone like Whitney or Amy did. Mm. So at least yeah. she was able to live to a relatively ripe old age. It's very hard to say. I mean, had things worked out how she wanted them to, had she had the structure and discipline of being a classical pianist, mm. this could have been very different. It seemed like when she was heavily involved in the civil rights movement, she had a real strong community around her. And looking at that part of the documentary, it seemed when she was happiest and most grounded. Yeah. Also, there were a lot of people taking care of Lisa, it looked like at that point. And mm -hmm. perhaps Andy took more of a backseat because he just didn't. He didn't care, did he? He was focused on making her a success. Yeah. Just say yeah. the people taking care of Lisa was uh, Malcolm <laughs> X's, Malcolm X and, yeah, and yeah. family, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was That's Malcolm right. X's Looking around the tea right. yeah, yeah. you know, those people. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that obviously that all came to an end very, very tragically. Maybe that was a big turning point. That was sort of the end of that, you know, idyllic community that they built. Yeah. I mean, you just, you sort of watch it and you just think, gosh, she just needs a break. <laughs> and it's just constantly things kind of come up against her and yet she kind of keeps on going and keeps on battling yeah. and she lived she lived longer than i thought she yeah, did too. actually yeah. and she ended up in the south of france and mm -hmm. you can kind of imagine her pottering around there and playing the piano playing the piano and being relatively happy i would hope i don't know well that's the last thing i want to say because i the the documentary finishes on on the footnotes thing and i always kind of feel shortchanged by that 
Oh, and she died in 2003. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the end kind of thing. But I mean, what, what do we know about her death? Was it... In... She got breast cancer, didn't she? I think so, yeah. I think that polished her off eventually. Yeah, yeah that was... <laughs> I mean, again, it feels... It felt to me like they were, they were struggling for material for the back end of it. Like you say, they don't have any footage of those weird club gigs or, yeah. you know, they don't have any interviews with her at that age. You know, there's there's very little that they could use. And they, as you said, they leaned heavily on that Montreux performance to kind of show her fractured mental state. But in the latter years of her life, they didn't. I think there's a bit of footage it. of the weird, one of the there's weird club photos, gigs. Yeah. I remember some scratchy VHS yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. There's, yeah, there's she, was she shouting, saying this place is a dump? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. It's, it's almost like no one really cared towards the end mm. that she just I guess kind you... of slipped away out of public consciousness and yeah. one of those things where people are like, oh, yeah. Nina Simone's died. I thought she, she died. was. She had a reputation for being ago. hard to handle, and yeah. she clearly said what she thought and uh, didn't give a shit. She didn't <laughs> give a shit. It was difficult, but then you know the point is made that if a male performer behaved that way, it would be tolerated in perhaps a way that it wasn't Mm. for her. And you you can think of countless, I mean, I mentioned Van Morrison before. There's a lot of stories about things that he's done (laughs) and the way he treats people. But people put up with it because they think, oh, it's Van Morrison, you know, he's he's a genius. She was a genius. And it's weird that there wasn't someone, I don't know, Van Morrison, maybe he doesn't have the same mental struggles. He died at 27, didn't he? Van, yeah, he's still with he's us. Still going. Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking. thinking of? What? Is this no, something? Jim, I'm thinking of you the door. Do you have to go, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, with <laughs> Van Morrison is still alive, which I'd like to point out. I was Brown, thinking Brown Eyed Girl. Okay, I yeah. know. Sorry. I mean, I think with that. I mean, that is kind of it's rock and roll, isn't it? Rock and roll is given an excuse for pretty much everything. You can do whatever you like. It's rock and roll. Whereas. She wasn't rock and roll, even though she was almost a rock star. Mm. And she was a woman and she was also a black woman as well, which apparently... It's the triple whammy. I know. (laughs) It's the bad luck whammy. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's... uh, But the the message that keeps coming across in all these things is that if you're at all fragile and talented, then being famous probably isn't the best thing for you. Kind of exacerbates that's what, your. That's what that Janet Ian song's about, which is why it's so heartbreaking mm. when she's performing it. That to me was really the. Well, the lyrics of the Janet Ian song that. Uh, oh, I can't. You can't. <laughs> I wanted to sing it just in the in the key of Nina Simone. <laughs> Look the lyrics up on are. YouTube. Sometimes if you're really talented, <laughs> but you've got some problems in your head, things can go really badly for you, and you might end up wishing you were dead. Does it go like that? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Bringing a tear to my eye. I'm crying again. <laughs> I think at that point, let's go to a brief popcorn break before going on to the, onto the scores. I love it. We have some lovely popcorn from uh, the wonderful Popcorn Shed. If you'd like to... Uh, get stuck in my tea. Is this that's caramel popcorn? This is... This is pecan pie. Pecan pie popcorn. Caramel popcorn with golden roasted pecans. What does misophonia mean? I've never heard that word before. Misophonia is where you get upset at the sound of people eating. Ah, I used to do. I used to be irritated by that on Blue Peter when they cook something and be, then <laughs> didn't eat, eat it. it. I don't <laughs> like it when presenters have clicky mouths. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say the name of the guy I'm thinking of, but there's one BBC presenter who's got the clickiest mouth. It's like he's eaten some paste before he's gone on screen, <laughs> and all you can hear is. I saw um, Anne Hathaway on stage. She, I think she was in the country filming Batman <laughs> and she was on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's thing at the South Bank, you know, his oh, yes. record show. 
And she came what? out and read a poem. But she had such a dry <laughs> mouth. And I was just, have a glass of water, Anne Hathaway. You're yeah. a professional. It was very upsetting. Clicky mouth. Mm. You'd think like such they'd be able mouth. to hear it or feel it. I'm going to eat my popcorn now, listeners. Here we go. I used to eat so much caramel popcorn. Oh, that yeah. was my thing of choice. Giant bag. Yeah, smuggle yeah. it into the cinema. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then at a certain point, I was like, wow, I'm giant. <laughs> <laughs> Why have I got so fat so fast? <laughs> I, I had to give it up after I had pain in, in one of my teeth for ages. Mm. And I, I kind of dug it out. And there was a bit of, quite a big bit of a popcorn. Bonus popcorn. Yeah. That's when <laughs> Save I realized, that one for later. Realised probably uh, oh, down mate. on the bag of nights that I was doing on, on a sh show I was working on. I think I had it in my head that maybe popcorn was a relatively healthy snack. Yeah, except it's you cover corn. it in toffee. Yeah, no one is paying for <laughs> sugar. Or in salt yeah. as well. <laughs> salt and sugar, the two healthiest toppings. We will go to the scoring system. Scores on the doors. The uh, unique flicks. There's a big spreadsheet. Kobe is showing me on a screen in this room a giant spreadsheet. Very professionally arranged <laughs> and being displayed beautifully. On the screen here in the St Pancras room <laughs> in King's Place. So you've got the scores out of five for each of the categories. Well, scores out of five. First up is the recommendability score. I highly recommend this documentary about Nina Simone. I'd give it a recommendability score of five. Five? Straight out of the gate? Sure, what's not to like? She's amazing. And it's nicely put together, I think. Zoe? I don't think there's many people that you couldn't recommend this film to, mm. you know, if you're judging it on that basis. So I would say four. A bit mean. <laughs> <laughs> Helen. Um, I'm going to go with five as well. I think yeah, this is a fantastic introduction to Nina Simone for anyone who's got the best of and likes the song <laughs> or just really wants to see like a fantastic musician because really that was... Yeah, Amazing. That's what she is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even if you don't really enjoy these stock doc kind of bits, you can always skip to those and just watch the performances in a nice little montage. But it's a good story. I don't yeah. think it doesn't flag. You know, it's it's good. It's well told. So you're giving it five. Yeah. I'm going to go side with Zoe here. I think. Yeah. Going to dock a point. Yeah, dock a point because I I think I just want a bit more dynamism from agree, the documentary. Yeah. And when it comes up against Amy, I just think that's that height. Asif Kapadi, what I did with Senna and Amy, I think are like the high watermark. Of. Yeah, but I mean, that wouldn't stop me re recommending it. Oh, no. Hence my five. <laughs> Repeat viewing score. How likely are you to rewatch it? And well, would you give that out I five? think that is where it suffers because of the way it's put together. It's yeah. not something that you're going to watch over and over again. Like I, it's a thing. It's a problem with documentaries, though, in general. Yeah, I think they don't tend to get. I don't know. I watch. On the documentary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Pink Floyd classic albums, Dark Side of the Moon, every year. <laughs> I watch it every year. So that's a five out of five for you for, for repeat viewing score for Pink Floyd. For Pink Floyd. Yeah. For this one, I mean, I'd be happy to rewatch it. And so maybe three. Okay. Zoe. So my high watermark for a rewatchable music documentary would be Anvil, the story of Anvil. Uh, I've not seen <laughs> that yet, but... It's, it's amazing. And it makes me happy it. every time it's I watch good. it. It's good. It's good. I haven't seen it for a while. This, I don't <laughs> think I would ever watch again, but I would certainly watch the performances on YouTube, and I have watched yeah. some of them several times since. So on that basis, I guess I can't do half points, right? You can, you can go to yeah, decimal places. Yeah, two and a half. Look at the spreadsheet. <laughs> you can do... You can do like 25,000 decimal places Absolutely. if you want. You can do pi. <laughs> I'm going to give it 
pi. <laughs> so that's 3.124. 3.14159. And then loads of other uh, numbers. That's my score. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you've put it. You've oh, put it do, you want to, do you want to give it pi? Adam? Put it in Helen's. I'll give it pi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kobe. Kobe is typing out pi. <laughs> It'll be a while. <laughs> He's typing it to one million decimal places. Helen. I mean, if, we, if we're talking about music documentaries that we've watched the most, I've probably seen Blur's Star Shape. Oh, my God. So I many times. But I've only got where it on VHS. On VHS, <laughs> it doesn't work properly. I haven't seen that for a while. That was so good. I didn't even know when it existed. It's the funniest least, thing ever. I um, haven't seen it all the way through for about a year, but I regularly, someone has very kindly put clips of it on YouTube and you can watch, watch them also. Later. There's some good stuff of all brand vomiting, isn't there? I yes, there's lots Thank of you. vomiting. <laughs> That's good. Um, Alex James is just hilarious, isn't it? It's drinking that cup of tea and with it out of a cup with of tea. With the shaky saucer. van, yeah. yeah. Um, and Graham's like this and, and Alex is just... Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's That's no hilarious. good on a podcast, was it? I did a mine everywhere. Yeah, it was it really funny. <laughs> Shuffled in the it chair. It was as if Blur were in the room <laughs> for a while. It was amazing. So it's not... Sadly, not star-shaped for me. I think I probably would watch it again, but not for a while. So I'm going to go straight down the middle with a 2.5. Yeah, I think 2.5. And I think I would, when I do watch it, I would kind of fast forward to the, I don't want to say the good bits, but the yeah. performances and that kind of... <laughs> fast forward to the really funny bits. It yeah. seems a bit callous, doesn't it? When you're talking about someone's life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> skip to the end, skip to the highlights. Uh, it's a bit boring. At least 10 years. Uh, <laughs> So small screen score, this is how much do you feel? Do you feel it's perfect for watching on a Netflix arena, i.e. on your TV or a smaller screen? Or do you feel you should have watched it in a cinema? It, it doesn't need to be seen in the cinema. No. no. It's perfectly fine on a, on a postage stamp sized screen. <laughs> That's how I'd recommend you watch it. <laughs> people do that. We've had people who've come on and gone. So I watched it on ever decreasing screen sizes. So I yeah. started off on the TV <laughs> and then I did a laptop and then I did my phone. Oh, ah, and then I put my phone in someone else's house and watched it from <laughs> across the street. And it was even better. So if, if it doesn't matter how small the screen is, then the, the score is high. Yeah. Five. It's a five. It's a five. Zoe. I completely agree. You absolutely don't need to sit in the cinema. Five. Helen. I'm going to go five as well. And also saying, again, this is one thing that Netflix is quite good at, is there are a lot of documentaries hidden on there yeah. that you know you might have missed or you just might go, oh, I'm not really sure about that, but this is definitely one to give yes, a go. Yes, if you search up best music docs in well, when you're in Netflix, you'll oh, get there, loads there a of things. You what? I, didn't, I didn't know there's that many in there. But yeah, there's a I few. Need, there's some good ones. need to do some searching. Small screen score, I'd say I'm going to give 4.5 only because... I think the sound in my house could be better. Too. That's the problem with your house. Yeah, yeah it I is. Mean, Not yeah. Netflix. True. <laughs> <laughs> Echoey house. Engagement score. How engaged were you whilst watching it? Do you feel the need to be checking Wikipedia or do you stopping and starting the, the show all the time? A bit, 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 to be, if I'm honest, I watched it in several sittings. Yeah. It was perfectly good in that way. So you didn't, need to, you didn't feel like you needed to sit down and watch it from start to finish, otherwise you... I mean, it's always better, isn't it? But no, you don't need to. So does, it, does that mean it's a high score? It's quite a low score. Though. Low score for engagement. Well, so how <sighs> much you were engaged a yeah, little I bit as well. well. I was certainly engaged with it and looked forward to... Uh, but I unfortunately watch a lot of things that way. So, you know, I tend to watch things when I'm on the train, especially music docs, which I can't often get past the other members of my household because <laughs> they're like what no come on let's watch what do they want to watch i don't know romantic comedies but a three then 
Uh, middle of the road, 2.5. I'm going to go middle of the road. 5. Zoe? Yeah, I think this is another obvious 2.5 because parts of it are extremely engaging and parts of it aren't that engaging at all. And I'd, I'd say it's pretty much split. Yeah. Adam's gone back to the popcorn there. Gone back to the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> a little chew. Um, I think the, the, the live performances are extraordinary yeah. and some of the rest of it is, you know, maybe I looked at my phone once or twice. Helen? I'm going to give it a five. I was absolutely, completely absorbed in this. From Fantastic. the performances and not knowing that much about her life anyway. Yeah, five. I didn't didn't touch my phone once. Oh. I was I'm doing, very easily distracted. I was doing a fair <laughs> bit of wikipedia going on, but trying not to try and, trying to stay away from the spoiler of when did she actually die. <laughs> and that was the thing I was trying to avoid whilst right. re- researching. Again, I'm not sure if you can count it as a spoiler a when spoiler. it's someone's actual life. <laughs> True. <laughs> but I mean, let's um, briefly before we finish... She died in 2003. Mm. I don't remember that at all happening no. in the news or anything yeah. like that. So that's... It's true, isn't it? Nowadays, no disrespect to the people I'm going to mention, but recently Grant Hart from Huskadoo died, mm. very sadly. I love that band. But not a massively well-known band, but you wouldn't well, know it from, know the, from the fuss on social media, and, and quite rightly. I think it's social media, isn't it? That's what's changed from yeah, 2003 yeah. to now. And, you know, uh, Walter Becker from Steely Dan. I mean... Again, great band, sadly missed. But Six Music was like playing nonstop Steely Dan the whole day or something after he died. And you think Nina Simone was of a similar, if not greater, stature. And as you say, there was very little fuss made. Yeah, the fact that four of us around this table didn't know that she. I think I was very self absorbed in 2003. (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) Engagement four, because I was Wikipedia. And that gives us an overall score of 3.8385. Love it. Which is <laughs> I quite strong. That's probably that's a good. I yeah. think that's that's a good score. That. I mean, I think it's a well-made but conventional documentary. But Nina Simone is extraordinary. Yeah, that's what. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Got some. I give her five stars. We have got some tweeted people who tweeted it, their reviews. Helen, do you want to take these? So yeah, we've got the uh, Shite Guys Pod. So they've got excellent portrait of a complex artist, definitely rewatchable, and they've gone for five stars Ooh. on that one. Whoa. They loved it. Simon Renshaw. Hi, Simon. He's gone a high two stars from me. Is two stars really high? Hi. <laughs> Maybe he's just saying, hi, two stars from me. <laughs> yeah, one to be added to the ever-increasing pile of distinctly average and very ordinary biopics of extraordinary people. Ooh. Ooh and I, I, I kind of can agree I, with that. Can I just address at this point the way oh, that, that mean. the divergence in the pronunciation of the word B-I-O-P-I-C. Now, in my mind... It's pronounced biopic because it's a biographical picture. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people like to pronounce it biopic. But that to me That's makes like it sounds yeah. like it's about myopia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, you're, you're definitely right. I suffer from biopia, which is a <laughs> narrowing of truth and meaning for the sake of telling a story of someone's life in an hour and a half. <laughs> That's a fair point. Guys, can we sign off? Let us know where we can find you online on the Twitters and the internet and stuff like that and say goodbye to the crowd. Love it. What am I supposed to do now? Say where we can find you online. Where? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. If that's if you want people to find you. Googling, probably. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, there's no need. (laughs) You know, the Adam Buxton podcast is what I would direct people to, available from the Acast platform. Yeah or iTunes and usual outlets. Zoe? Check out the awesome comedy and podcast we have on at King's Place, which is kingsplace.co.uk. And if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Zozrat. And we'll link to all you guys on the show notes anyway, so people can just scroll down and click on the links. Nice. 
Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Cheers. thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Hi, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show there. Please do check all our beautiful guests out on the show notes and links to their Twitter account and their iTunes for the podcast are there. And also do check out the website because that's where a lot of their information is. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. And of course, we want to big up Tony and Jay and also Greg, our editors from GL Productions. Of course, please big up Mighty People for the tunes you can hear now. And at the start of the podcast, find us on Twitter at FlitzWatcherPod. And visit our website, flitzwatch.tv. Phones off, please, guys. <laughs> Airplane mode, if you would.